that was my first year that I decided like I'm not setting any financial goals. I am not creating a level of obligation to show up to something when my body needs to heal. Welcome to the New Age Sage Podcast, where you come to free your mind from all the things that keep you in suffering. Today's guest is Amanda Bucci. She is a big time social media influencer and coach. We get into juicy topics like cancel culture and open relationships. You're going to get a lot out of this one, I promise. Thank you for watching and please like and subscribe. Thank you. Amanda, welcome on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So I wanted to dive straight into the topic of authenticity. There's someone not perceiving you and have met you. You're very authentic. I can just, you scream you. It's beautiful. It's great. So do you. How did you get there? What were the main pieces of your journey towards finding your authenticity and then staying in it? Yeah, it's a really great question. I'll start where um, we all start with our childhood or our family. For me specifically, I grew up with a loving mom and dad. Um, They got divorced when I was 12. I grew up in Rhode Island, which is a a decent state to grow up in. And I had very little big T trauma growing up. We all have our things. We all have our experiences of the world, even as you know, little children, um, we can all have different interpretations of what happens to us and then how that affects our personality growing up. For me, what I realized and I learned over time, this started to unravel itself for me, like my understanding of who I am, who I'm not, you know, that whole awakening moment where you start to question, who am I? Why am I here? How did I become like this? For me, that was right around when I was 25. I had already started my social media content creation journey right around when I was 22 or so, and I thought that I knew who I was, but it wasn't until I had some experiences in relationships and I had some experiences online and in business when I started to question, you know, is the way that people perceive me who I am or am I, am I growing and I'm still figuring out who I am and I don't really have a lot of the answers as to what I firmly believe about this or what... I absolutely have a boundary with around that. And I didn't really know where the edges of myself were. I didn't know where I started and like the rest of the world began. And the reason for that, that I have come to find out through therapy, through just working with myself, is really because I grew up in this experience of living in the gray area, living in the in-between. I kind of call it living between a four or five and a six. Mm -hmm versus having those intense ones, twos, and threes and like those really dark moments where you you feel a lot of pain, but you learn a lot of things. From pain, we learn, you know, what we're not available for. We learn how to build skills like compartmentalization or resilience or um, understanding loyalty or understanding different things that come from pain. And then also those, you know, eights, nines, and tens and understanding deep joy and understanding what like makes you light up and understanding what makes you come alive. And I didn't have a lot of those growing up. I had a kind of a very, you know, neutral experience of the world where there wasn't a lot of amazing goodness to really like have contrast. The way that I experience it Mm -hmm. now and talk about it now is like you need contrast to grow and to have experiences where you learn who you are and you learn who you're not. So once I started to realize that, I remember being very interested in just having more contrast, having more like challenging experiences where I can go into them and I could have a learning mindset around any sort of relationship or any sort of 
business venture. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to have the mindset that I'm not going to solidify my identity until I feel really clear that, you know, this is definitely what makes me me. And then I've, you know, gone into spirituality where you realize that you are not your identities at all. You are beyond identity. You are beyond the sense of self or the self. But, you know, when you go through life and you live in this human world, you have to have some sort of semblance of self so you can figure out where to go. You want to... I'm curious what what it was like. So the difference in your journey is that you were discovering yourself while showcasing yourself. Yeah. And that's an interesting space to be. So what was that like? Like figuring yourself out, having shift in identity, having mm-hmm. certain ego deaths while having people, a lot of people in the world dependent on you to be a specific person. Yeah. What was that like? Yeah, it was a lot. Um, so many content creators go through this. And I think, you know, I wrote this book, Followed, and I know so many people who are content creators and they're figuring themselves out. They're between the ages of like, you know, 18 and like, 30 something and those years are so formative and you don't really know who you are for so many years like you go through trials and tribulations and you learn and that was very much so my experience when I first got started on social media I was 21 years old and I had just come out of college I was doing fitness competitions and I didn't have you know like a romantic relationship to figure out who I was I didn't I had some experiences where I had you know close friendships and stuff but I had this one thing that I was going for, which was fitness. And I built a whole brand, like 220,000 YouTube subscribers and 25 million views. And I did all of these things around fitness. I did competitions and it built a big brand. I talked about it a lot, but that was not who I I was. It was a part of who I was. But it's weird because, you know, I only had a certain awareness of who Amanda was at that time because that was what I was focusing on in my life. And I built the whole brand around it mm-hmm. versus this like this singular part of something that I'm interested in, yeah. not the totality of who I am. Yeah. I was always transparent and honest. I always I shared about some things I experienced, like my anxiety or the different ways that I would like navigate things. And I feel really strongly that that always really came through and shown through in my content. Yeah. I have some sort of like inherent openness and you yeah. even asked before the podcast, is there anything you don't want to talk about? Yeah. I'm like, not really. Like I'm, I'm, I've always been an open book yeah. in that way. Yeah. So yeah, watching, having people watch my process as I'm growing through the ages of like 21, 23, 25. And the first moment that I felt the intensity of being watched and having like high pressure and high expectation of me to stay being that version of myself was when I pivoted out of the fitness industry. I have a very clear memory of this one time where I made a video where I was very excited to start talking about business and I told my YouTube channel like this is what I'm going to talk about now and these are the topics that I'm most interested in and this is what I'm excited about and someone commented this is the most inauthentic I've ever seen you. Mm. And I wrote that in my book somewhere. And that really hit me because at the time, you know, when you're figuring out who you are, you don't, you can't answer everybody's question about like, is this definitely you? Because you're experimenting. And at the time I was like, I don't know, but I feel really called to do this. And something about it is interesting to me. And the other time that I felt it really intensely was when I got into a polyamorous relationship mm-hmm. with my my now husband, John. Yeah. And so many people had questions that I couldn't answer. Yeah. And the reason that I decided to share about it at the time that I did, I was 26 at the time or 20, 25 or 26. 
And I remember saying to myself, I'm going to share this when I feel confident in my decision and also confident in not knowing answers. I couldn't answer every single question of like, you know, what about when you guys have kids or what about this or what about that? There were some questions that I felt clear on, but there I knew that I was going to be going on a journey. So authenticity is this like it's it's like a moving flexible dynamic experience of yourself that isn't isn't a static this is 100 this and if you deviate from that then you're being inauthentic yeah i think that it's such a nuanced topic that i really the whole book is surrounded around authenticity and each chapter um is really helping you unpack what barriers you might have to being authentic online how do you not let the opinions of others, the hate of others, the negative opinions of others affect the direction you were going into. What I mean is that once you're deciding who you are in the space, it's easy to see a, a negative comment or like that was trash yeah. or that wasn't authentic as an invitation to then shut down the side of yourself. Yeah. So how do you navigate that? How do you not let the voices about, the, or let sometimes, whatever it was, the journey yeah. was, how do you find your own sense of self, your own direction away from what other people, people projected onto you? Yeah. Yeah. There, that's a, such a good question. There were plenty of times where I felt shut down seeing comments that that shutdown was, you know, a level of overwhelm and also a level of feeling fear that what they were saying was actually true. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people go through that. And again, you don't you don't know when you're exploring yourself and you're figuring yourself out and you don't have answers and someone says something like that. Part of the reason why we get dysregulated and shut down or we want to fight back or we want to argue with someone or we want to, you know, run away from social media altogether and hide is because there's a deep fear that what they're saying might be true. Mm -hmm. And that's where really shadow work can come in. And also having a loving and compassionate and curious, again, mindset and perspective on how you view yourself. How, How can shadow work help with that? Shadow work can help. So shadow work is essentially this psychological process and understanding that there are hundreds or thousands of aspects that live inside of us that are entirely who we actually are that we don't identify with. Mm -hmm. So um, there's the seven laws of hermetics. If you've ever read the book, the the Kaibalan book, or if you've ever heard of um, hermetic philosophy, uh, it's essentially all of the some of the laws of the universe. Like, you know, there's a, there paradoxes are complete in the, in and of themselves. So let's just say selfishness and selflessness. They're the two two sides of the same spectrum. Mm-hmm. So let's just say you've always identified as a selfless person. There can be a darkness to that and a shadow to that, and that looks like martyrdom. It looks like abandoning yourself for other people because you don't have an integrated relationship with the part of you that is selfish, that needs to, you know, take care of yourself first, to honor yourself first, to know yourself first before or even in this kind of like nice even given give and take of showing up for other people and showing up for yourself Mm -hmm. so the shadow is really everything that you don't identify with or you don't have access to consciously within yourself there are repressed parts of yourself parts of yourself that you've been told or you've even told yourself and perpetuated the idea that these things aren't me they don't exist inside of me um and for the people that they exist inside of, they're wrong, they're bad. Yep. So even just for example, 
um, with the non-monogamy thing or mm -hmm. whatever. There's there's so many unexplored areas of our relational selves, the parts of us that maybe are interested in exploring with other people while we're in a relationship. And if we've decided that's bad, that is, you know, not okay, it is immoral to do something like that, then what ends up happening is we feel unwhole. It feels mm -hmm. like a fractaled, kind of disconnected, fear-based experience on the inside where we push people away. We, you know, experience like more separation. And the moment that you start to think, oh, you know, maybe there's a part of me that's curious about that. You feel a little bit more whole because you're accepting just a part of you that's curious. Yeah. So with social media and shadow work, um, being able to understand and accept that there's a part, there's parts of you that will evolve they will change they will grow you might do something differently yeah. some someone might interpret your authenticity as total inauthenticity yeah. but ultimately it's helpful to understand that there's all these untapped you know parts of our dna parts of our personality parts of ourselves that it's it's actually deeply okay to grow and evolve yeah, for sure the way the way i see it is that kind of the opposite side of it is that if someone's commenting hate and they're projecting their shit on me yeah. Because I'm able to see that myself, I can see the ugly and yeah. hating me. If they do it, I can I, I love for it, right? Because I can I've loved it yeah. myself. I can see it, and then it doesn't phase me. Yes. On, on the other side, if they're pointing out something, the most resistant reaction is the shit that usually is true. Right. And if someone says, you know, that wasn't authentic, you're manipulating, and if you really can't accept that in yourself, you're gonna have so much resistance to that. But mm -hmm. the silver lining in it, in whatever you can find in getting hate, is that is where can I create room for love to understand why they're doing this, and two what if they're saying is true mm -hmm. and not with like a not defining you it's not it's not you're not hate you're not a bad person but yeah you have the capacity for it you could be leaning into it mm -hmm. and seeing yourself i can actually overcome this yeah that's such a good point and being able like you just said being able to really see what someone's saying and yeah. both hold love for them but also the way that you get unfazed by that is really to accept yourself wholly and fully even yeah. your mistakes even your darkness even the stuff that might be true yeah. and i think that that's such a perfect point and such a beautiful way to transcend that difficult experience of being hated on and judged and also it allows you to keep moving forward doing the thing that you really want to do when you don't when you actually know how to navigate you know someone might misunderstand me someone might judge this someone might hate me for it but i own it yeah. within me yeah. why do you think you got so much I don't know so much. Why do you think you got resistance or pushback against being non-monogamous? Why do you think there's so much resist resistance around it in society? That's a good question. <laughs> I think that non-monogamy... We might have had this conversation when we met each other at our friend's house. Um, I think non-monogamy starts to push against people's sense of security. Yeah. Um, even if it's like a sense of false security, it starts to have you question your you know, sense of attachment to other people and to the societal structure that is monogamy culture. Um, monogamy, monogamistic structures are basically when you get into an exclusive relationship with someone, there's all these preconceived rules that society has, you yeah. know, given to you and created that say this is how your relationship operates. And even if there are some, you know, different interpretations of what those rules are, like what does cheating really look like? What does being unfaithful really look like? What does it look like to have different roles in the home and, you know, how we domesticate and all of that stuff? There's still a sense of safety and having a pre-created 
structure. Yeah. And non-monogamy says there's a lot of other kinds of structures you can create, but you have to go inside of yourself and form them on your own through self-exploration without this other you know, structure that can help you feel really safe. Mm -hmm. And it has you question and feel into feelings that can, you know, be even deeper traumas from your childhood. It activates parent stuff. It can activate um, abandonment stuff, belonging. And it can really bring up quite a lot of emotional things that I think it's important to have support to be able to move through them. Yeah, for sure. What was your journey getting there? Why did you decide to do that? What were the, some of the bumps or the, or the obstacles in your love journey to where you decided to be like, you know, fuck what society says. Yeah. I can't follow this, this, you know, cookie cutter path anymore. Yeah. What were the pivotal moments in you deciding to be non-monogamous? Yeah, I think um, for me, I didn't have relationships where I had um, super intense betrayal or super intense endings of relationships that I was carrying a lot of pain. I don't think that that's one reason that mm -hmm. people move into non-monogamy yeah. but I had a, a kind of a privilege of having like a naivety of, okay. of going into like you know I don't have a lot of resistance to this there's okay. not ton tons of parts of me that feel closed off to doing this because I have a lot of pain to work through I had a lot of openness um the the main reason that I found it appealing was because I just ended a relationship and um I in that relationship felt like I wasn't going to grow for the rest of my life. I wasn't really exploring the edges of myself with that person. There wasn't, you know, the contrast that I was really looking for. Mm -hmm. And I think my soul was craving experience and my soul was craving to really learn through deep experience of, you know, not just being in this super safe, super predictable thing. Yeah. I wanted it to be kind of unpredictable so I can just keep learning, keep growing, keep exploring. Like I wanted to understand myself. And I specifically remember going through my own spiritual awakening, ending a long-term relationship that I was in because it just wasn't helping me grow. And I intuitively felt this pull to end it. Um, and then I had two other short-term relationships after that that were extremely growth-inducing. They were short, but... I had never experienced something like that before, where it was just deep unraveling and unpacking of different parts of myself. They were difficult, mm -hmm. um, but I was curious of that. I was like, huh, there's a lot to learn in, in the challenge here. And I specifically remember looking up at the sky and I was like, bring me something difficult. <laughs> bring me something interesting. Bring me something challenging because I want to learn. Um, I've always had a very open mind. I know that my open mind is always something that felt inherently true to me. Even if I didn't know for sure that I, my orientation was poly or like I'm a non-monogamous person by nature. Um, I had a lot of exploring to do to figure that out because so much of it is theory until it's put into practice. Yeah. I have no bad feelings or anything towards the situation. I just want to add nuance and like if someone thinks oh, yeah. differently, just ask the question. Someone, <laughs> I got to do go it. For it. What do you say to people who would just categorize that as you know hedonistic undisciplined yeah that's a great question what do you say to that to me it's not about sex at all it's not about just pleasure mm -hmm. to me it's about deeply honoring what feels authentic and true to you through a compassionate lens it requires a lot of discipline actually mm -hmm. um it requires intentional inner work and 
a deep commitment and devotion to deep honesty for things to work. Yeah. In monogamous relationships, you can be undisciplined in many ways, or you can, you know, repress parts of yourself or hide parts of yourself. Um, I think both styles just have their own very different experiences. But for myself anyway, in, in my relationship, it's always been a very deep devotion to how can I be as honest as humanly possible? Um, how can I observe when I feel scared to be honest? And how can I lean into that with my partner and have the conversations to clear out? Like, why do we feel scared to be truthful with each other? Yeah. Why, why is that? What's that disconnect between us or within our individual selves? And the, de- the level of devotion to the communication and the work required to even navigate those spaces is, is actually pretty high. Yeah. And once you know, you move into a space of foundationalizing in your relationship and learning and creating a deep sense of safety for everybody. It's actually really beautiful to have more love, just like it is to have more friendships and more community and more people that you can lean on for love and support and that you can explore love in different ways. And it is very confusing to wrap your head around when you haven't, you know, explored those areas yet. And I totally understand that it can feel like, well, why do you just want more sex with people like that? That seems, that seems very hedonistic. And like, you just want more ice cream. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? For me, why I haven't done it personally is that, like you said, it's people perceive it's easier to go down that road. I think it's harder, right? Because it's much harder harder to do that because it requires, because I really believe love's freedom. Love's truly oh, freedom. Free. Yeah, it's that I agree. You, when you love someone, that they should have the freedom to do whatever they desire. Because mm-hmm. so, you love someone, you can't control them, right? That's the way I see it. Therefore, an open relationship, to some degree, is a high expression of love because, you know, we have desires, human beings, even if it's not sexual, if it's a romantic desire, if we, crush, we get crushes, right? Yeah, it happens. Even if you can just talk about it, yeah. and not not take action. Yeah, so it's like if these if these things happen, and actually requires more difficult conversation. It's what it's a it's a harder and more effective lesson in learning how to love. Mm-hmm. And love love is also boundaries too. Love yeah. is also being able to say, "This is what I am available for, and this is what I'm not available for, and this is what I'm open to creating availability for with you." Yeah. And you know, it's it's a it's a challenging thing to really feel into like love is purely freedom and being able to do whatever you want. And the counter argument to that would often be. Well, you can't just do everything that you want, whatever yeah. you want, because then you hurt people. But it, love is also collaborative. And especially when you're in a relationship with another person, it's like, how can I be my full self while you also be your full self without crossing your own boundaries? Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing is that it's extremely important for not it's not just one person that like wants to fuck a bunch of people and this yeah. other person that is suppressing their true needs and desires for safety and monogamy. And it's just like this manipulative thing. It's like, okay, if, if that's what you want, there's ideally some version of myself that wants that as well. How can I create space for you while you create space for me to feel deeply safe, considered, loved, honored, and also vice versa? How can we do that for each other if that is the dynamic? Take me to a, a challenging moment in that dynamic that really tested your ego and your ability to love? Yeah, great question. One of my most challenging moments for myself was coming directly up against one of my own patterns, um, which is this experience of being a good person and having the identity of being a good person and finding my own moments where I lied and was out of integrity with my partner. Mm -hmm. Um, I was navigating 
exploring with somebody and I felt like if I shared how I really felt and what I was really feeling and going through, then my partner would be really deeply hurt. Yeah. Um, you know, there was some deep people pleasing patterns that I had to move through. And in that pattern, the pattern said, it's not safe to really share how you truly feel. And in that you can hide and suppress it and like make it, you know, so it's not as honest as it actually is because it's not safe. It's not okay. Yeah. And that I think was one of the biggest growth moments for me of realizing it's actually worse to be dishonest. It's actually worse to revoke the opportunity of someone to have the full truth of their feelings in receiving your full truth. And I think that was one of the biggest growth moments for me because it helped me really move through one of the biggest patterns of of my life that has taken many, many years to unravel and unpack and seeing all the little places where people pleasing would show up in ways where I would abandon my own needs, suppress my own needs, or even, you know, present myself as, a good person when there were parts of me that were actually hurtful and I needed to come to terms with that. And my ego was super tested with that. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, that the ego did not want to face the fact that like, Oh yeah, your behavior was actually hurtful and you need to take responsibility for that. Yeah. Is there, was there, is there any discomfort when you or your partner says, you know, I have feelings for someone else. Is that like, yeah. Yeah. Everyone comfortable. How do you deal with that? Yeah. There's, there's been discomfort in the past. Um, now we're at such a, you know, foundation place. Yeah. How'd we get there? Um, there's definitely been, so like in the, the earlier stages of our relationship, um, the fears that came up were, you know, are we stabilized enough for you to have feelings for someone else? And for me to trust that we can move through this in a way that feels like comfortable, um, jealousy, there was some jealousy, not tons and tons. Like the, to me, jealousy is both rooted in insecurity and also feeling like you're going to get something taken away from you. Yeah. So if you feel like, you know, my partner loves someone else and maybe I'm scared that my love is going to get taken away or my their attention or their focus on me um, or they're going to get to do stuff that I don't want to do, that can activate jealousy and also insecurity, which insecurity we all have insecurities it's not a bad thing but maybe insecurity around like they're more sexual than me or they have like they look a certain way that I don't look and that makes me wonder if I'm good enough so then you face all the parts of yourself that feel like they're not good enough and you do that inner work and you have your partner support you in that as well if that's available um again it's a very nice intentional dance that it can get risky. Like it can, if you if you don't have the tools to make sure that like you're moving through some of these things slowly and intentionally and thoughtfully, then there can be landmines that you step on. Yeah. So in terms of yeah, if someone has feelings for someone else, it's a conversation. It is let's talk about that. It is what does this mean? It is what are you um when you know what are you experiencing? Even using something like a rating scale like how, what are your feelings look like for them out of 10? Like, are you 10 out of 10? You need to do this. And then also for the other person, like, is this 10 out of 10 uncomfortable for you? Or is it like a two out of 10? And everyone's experience matters. Um, I think one of the biggest things is that we've learned is that it's important to talk about how we feel honestly at every, every kind of escalation or every twist or turn of, what's going on inside of us on a daily basis. So we can continue to be aware of like how things are moving, 
so we can keep collaborating together for the best outcome. Yeah. Going down that road entails some sort of rebellious side. Yeah. Because it's very much like, it's like, it's very much the mindset of like, fuck society. Yes. I can't put in this box. Like I'm doing my own thing. Yeah. And you seem to have changed your own identity multiple times. So where did that side of you start? That side of you who was able to look back at your life for society and be like, I can't keep doing shit this way. Yeah. When did that side of you come, start coming out? Yeah. Yeah. I actually remember, I have like a funny story about my inner rebel, um, and in high school. So I, in high school, I was very much so like, I got good grades. I, you know, was in honors classes. I did sports. I was like a good person or whatever. Um, but I had some really close friends of mine that were more rebellious. They were on the rebellious side. Like we would go out drinking and I would lie to my mom sometimes and tell her I was staying somewhere. And then, you know, we would go out and party and stuff is like 17, 18 year olds. Of course. Yeah. And I dissociated from the part of myself that was like, I'm the rebellious one. And I projected that onto my friends. And I was like, oh, it's them. Like, they're the rebellious ones. They're the ones that are helping me because I am, you know, this this person that like stays between the lines. And it wasn't until my mid 20s or so when, again, I ended that long term relationship um, and I started to realize like, oh, I'm I'm actually a rebellious person. Like I I went to nursing school and then I decided to do social media and fitness and online stuff instead, which is its own active rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, entrepreneurship, I think, is an active rebellion and, and just kind of like doing your own thing, being innovative, creating something out of nothing. I think that's very rebellious. Yeah. And yeah, I just always felt really interested in what was going on on the fringe and the stuff that's not particularly predictable. Um I always found the predictable stuff a little boring, mm-hmm. to be honest. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to learn here. <laughs> you know, I think it, I recommend to people to be rebellious, especially if they're trying to heal. Mm-hmm. Because to, to heal, you have to bypass everything society told you was good, whether it be yeah. you know, certain uh, medical stuff of, of psychiatry or whether it be friends or ways of thinking or schools of thought. That you, yeah. To really do the work totally. and, and go through it fast, You kind of, or to embrace the hero's journey, you have to really... Yeah. Leave the ordinary exhaust, world. Exist, exhaust the known and dive into the unknown. So how has it helped yeah. you heal yourself? That part of the inner rebel, how has it helped yeah, you like, really dive into that the unknown? Yeah, that, that unknown is like the best space for healing because it really requires an identity that is no longer serving you to, to die and to go away. And I remember the first time that I really let myself really go into the unknown it was when I was hitting burnout in my business. I was scaling my business coaching business. Mm-hmm. I scaled it up to seven figures. I had a team of eight people and um, people were, you know, offering me praise and like validation online for, wow, you're doing so well. You're so successful. I remember feeling like, okay, people, people know that I am like a model of success in this way and they're modeling their businesses after my business. And the pressure was so high to like keep growing and to keep showing people that you can do this too and I'm doing it and like I'm learning as I go but you know you're learning as you go and we're all figuring it out together and I know that I'm kind of ahead of the curb here but I was reaching burnout pretty quickly and I didn't really see anybody in my space talking about you know not not everyone needs to grow and scale at this speed I was in masterminds and there was a lot of other people that were either just in different places in their life than I was or had different energetic templates or different skill levels or different motivations or 
different things that they were bringing to the table. And I saw all these people doing really, really well. And then I asked myself, how can, how come I'm burnt out and these other people are, are not? What is it? What's wrong with me? Um, and I still at that time felt like I needed to prove myself to everybody. Yeah. And there was a point where I was like, my health is, my body's telling me no, my health is telling me no, like I can't, this is unsustainable. Um, and I remember like ego death, like really getting to the space of, I can't do this anymore. I have to tell people on my team that I'm letting them go. I have to tell social media that I'm like not doing this thing anymore. I let go of my most profitable product that required, that provided about 80% of my revenue at the time, um, which was a big deal when you're making seven figures at the time. I was yep. like, all right, this is getting removed. <laughs> and I just let myself, I needed, I know I needed to let myself just not have a financial plan. Um, that was my first year that I decided like, I'm not setting any financial goals. I am not creating a level of obligation to show up to something when my body needs to heal. And I don't know how long that healing process is going to take. You don't know how long your healing is going to take. I have a question in my Q and a box right now. Someone asked, um, I'm healing and I feel like my business is going to fall apart and I'm scared. What do I do? I'm like, you let it happen. Mm -hmm. You let it happen. Cause you don't know how long your healing is going to take. And you know, you don't have to have your healing be so all consuming where you don't have anything foundationalizing or stabilizing you. I think that's actually kind of dangerous and probably not the most helpful thing in the world. Um, so for me, I decided like what, what's going to be my minimum viable business operational structure. And then let me like, let myself be in the, I don't know, honor the, I don't know. That was very, very difficult because so many people were, were watching. Yeah. And I've talked about this um, online multiple times and, it's actually been a thing that a lot of my audience has really appreciated me for because a lot of them have also gone through something really similar after watching me go through it of like, you know what, you gave me permission to feel my feelings and to heal and to de-escalate the size of my business and to help me remind myself that it's okay that things aren't perfectly linear in their progression. Yeah. I'm going to give you a break to digest all this amazing information. And in this break, please like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you. Where are you at with that now? Because I assume that <clears throat> for me, once you're in the kind of business mode, you make a success, successful living off of controlling a lot of stuff, being super go, 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 and, yeah. and planning and making business plans and having systems, then you kind of, you're just so stuck in the known and you become so familiar with yeah. the known and you benefit from the known that then getting to a space of receiving mm -hmm. and just kind of opening up to the magic of what could be yeah. is terrifying. So how have terrifying. you, how have you made friends with that yeah. from where you came from? Cause most people, it's easier who didn't become so successful. So it's hard for you, I imagine, because you were validated by that way of being, mm -hmm. you're validated by a way of controlling. Yeah. There's lots of rewards. Yeah. So how are you dealing with that now? Yeah. How are yeah. you, cause you know, you're still trying to do the same things financially, I'm, I'm assuming, and, and also attracting a certain amount of attention and, and, and business stuff. So how are you applying that new way of, of unknown thinking yeah. to such a space that calls the known? I have mostly spent a lot of time in the last, it's been about, three, three and a half years of shifting from full known and full, you know, tracking numbers and setting 
business goals every month and setting business goals every quarter and year and like making it really structured. And that's obviously, you know, clear path to making business functional, operational. What I have reoriented to for myself that feels better for me um, is still having, you know, a vision for what my business could look like, but really orienting myself around um, not just how I feel, but like how I want my overall life to look and feel at any given point in time, um, while also being devoted to being my best self, my biggest self, and really knowing that a lot of, you know, being my absolute best self, whether it's like writing a book, it takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of, you know, you don't get any validation for a couple of years until you do yeah. a podcast tour and then you get validation. But, you know, you remove that entirely. Yeah. Um, you know, you take like a pay cut unless you, depending on like your book deal or whatever, but you, you know, it required like 30% of my attention for a year and a half or so. And that adjusted things in my business. And for me, I was really orienting to two things. Number one, how can I make my life sustainable and feel the way that I want it to feel versus trying to create money or recognition and then maybe have it feel good. It's kind of like the be, do, have model where rather than trying to get something so you can feel a certain way, you start to feel a certain way yeah. and then you eventually get more of what you want. It's just a totally different pathway. It's much more of the receiving. Yeah. So feeling the way that I wanted to feel was like, you know, what do I value? What really matters to me? Um, it, it really matters to me to feel healthy. It really matters to me to feel like I have availability and space to rest, whether it's, you know, vacation, I can take time off or having the weekends or, you know, whatever. Like those things are valuable to me. Um, it's valuable, valuable to me to have enough time and energy to devote to my friendships and my relationships. And it is also really valuable to me to, you know, create the the money that I want so mm -hmm. I can do the things that I want to do. But I value experiences. I value, you know, having like a certain level of freedom. Um, I value creating things that matter to me. I value creating connections and serving people and, and providing the information that I have and being able to like make that impact on people. But I don't value it more than, than my health and then my like personal time and my energy and yeah. I think that our values change with time you know you go through different life experiences and your values change yeah. but focus on what you value the most and how to create a system in your life that works with what you value the most do you think it helped you to have success early for that reason for <laughs> think feeling like I got what most people wanted in terms of money fame success and it still hasn't fixed the internal shit yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I've had a lot of clients recently say and even be able to watch my journey and be able to get to that place more quickly without hitting, you know, yeah. the, the thing that they wanted and then having it all come crumbling down mentally of like, yeah. oh, I'm at the top of the mountain and it doesn't feel the way that I want it to feel. So it's cool to see the ripple effect of, you know, sharing your story on social media and having people come to those realizations more quickly. But yeah, I don't think, you know, I didn't have anybody telling me, hey, Amanda, you don't need to do it this way. Um, you don't need to make sure that it looks this way in order to feel the way that you want to feel. That's a lot of what I do with clients now. And I ask them the hard questions. I'm like, do you want this thing this much in order to, you know, like you, the things that you'll have to do 
to create the business maybe size that you want at the timing that you think you want it at, um, at the size that you want it, it's going to require either like this investment or like this workload or this sacrifice. And those are those are all okay things mm-hmm. to have and to want, but I just want you to be aware of like what is actually required on a true level and then also what you might need to deprioritize in order to make that happen. Is that really what you want? Take me to the journey of the differences between what it felt like being in this space as an influencer, needing it, needing the mm-hmm. validation, needing the likes, needing the attention versus now being in the same space and not needing it as much. Yeah. What's the difference in feeling? Yeah. The feeling of not needing it as much currently is like so much peace. Hmm. No rush. It's like there's no timeline on anything. And how does it also add to it? How does it benefit you at your job? How does it make you better at what you do as well? Yeah, it, yeah it, it really allows me to focus on what matters versus have this like underlying need to prove myself, which hmm. can seep out into so many different areas. So beforehand, when I was unconscious of this pattern, and it was running a lot of, you know, the reason that I was doing everything. My team, you know, I would I would change things a lot and I would be a little a lot more chaotic and a lot more high stress and I would add stress to other people's lives and they were just kind of going along with what I wanted to do and I was aware that it was affecting people and you know, there was even like more balls dropped or just like having to deal with with my stress or you know, things in my relationships that were being affected. Um, even in the early stages of my relationship with my now husband, John, there would be so much of just constant stress about work and it yeah. affecting our relationship. So that to me was also just really deeply rooted in an in insecurity with where I was and who I was at the time yeah. and feeling like I just, I, I was here, I had to be here. And until I got here, I wouldn't be okay. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people feel that way. And now I feel like I'm here and I want to be here and here and here and I'm excited. I know it's coming. There's no rush. I can be at peace with being here. And that's the key difference is being able to be accepting and at peace with where you're actually at. Even if it, you know, it doesn't mean that you're not going to keep growing and that there are parts of yourself that you want to change or evolve or skills that you want to build. But if there is like a resistance and a turmoil to the present moment, you're never going to feel the feeling you're looking for. How would you let your body get there? Because it's easy to intellectually say, mm-hmm. you know, I want to appreciate where I'm at, right? I want to love right now. Then your body's so stuck on, like, I need to be at this fucking manifested point so I can feel good about myself. So how did you go about getting your body to be okay with that too? Yeah. Feel, somatically feel like I'm okay with right now. I'm okay with believing this thing's going to happen, but also enjoying where I'm at right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, somatic therapy was really helpful. Um, any kind of nervous system regulation for me, like that's, that point was when I started to learn what is your nervous system? How do you regulate it? Where in your body are you feeling so much dis-ease and dysregulation that like your literal physiology is telling you run or hide or fight or any of those signals because it doesn't actually feel okay. And it's, you know, both a somatic experience that you can work on with different somatic tools that I really appreciate from my somatic therapist, whether it's tapping or dancing or ice baths or breath work, you know, those are all different tools, but you can also create your own personal tools that work specifically for your patterns. When you understand that, you know, all of these different tools that we have, whether it's, 
you know, humming or even talking or intellectualizing is a nice tool. It's not always everything, but they all have different functions. And our body and our experience is a holistic experience. Yeah. So to me, I personally, like when I was going through so much, I went down a deep path of learning. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to know. I wanted to understand. I'm sure you have as well. Of just like, I want to know stuff about how the this whole system works and there's so many systems there's so many things to learn and Mm. i also remember feeling like i needed to learn everything about psychology and the human experience and consciousness and i was like even stuck in that i was like i need to know everything and wanting to understand so deeply because i wanted to solve my own problems what was the what's what was slash is the hardest trigger for you to feel safe with that's a great question It has definitely been, you know, there's been like a deep theme of being misunderstood, Mm. being like knowing that just a part of me might hurt someone. I've worked a lot on that quite a bit. In what context? Just like. So many contexts, like, you know how how any kind of pattern is like an onion and like you keep unraveling it. And like, you know, the first, the first layer of the people pleaser onion is you know, can you say no if someone asks you to go out to a party and you're tired? Like, that's yeah. that's like a nice first layer of being okay with, uh, I'm going to say no and someone might be disappointed, and that's okay, and I'm going to be okay. Um, on a deeper level for me, there's, you know, definitely been, um, as I've moved into owning who I am and owning my decisions, um, there's been plenty of times where I know that, like, my truth and like what feels most honest for me might hurt someone or might not be comfortable or might be something that they misinterpret um you know they might not understand what why I did it they might not want to know how it all happened or they might not want to understand like here's here's my trauma and here's you know my response to that and here's how I'm reacting to this and here you know it's it's a complicated system and not everybody wants to know or wants to understand so those have been difficult for me. Um, yeah, but be- I hear you. I'm the same way. Yeah. It's, uh, I learned it, thankfully, but it's like the courage to not be liked in a way. Yeah. That it yeah. sounds counterintuitive like you're an asshole, but it actually is freeing in many ways. It is very you know, freeing. Because most of the times we get, we get stuck in these friendships or romantic situations that just don't align with us. Mm-hmm. We're in them so long. We, we try to understand why, but, but at a baseline, it's because we don't want the person to not like us and think badly about us. Yeah, that's And then we end correct. up sticking it in it for too long. Right. And end up, you know, doing something bad at the end of it. It gets worse. But there's right. so, so much freedom and just the minute you feel that, just really honoring that feeling and saying, okay, I have to, you know, cut this person off in a, in a loving way and that's okay. They may not like me, yeah. but I have to do it for me. Yeah. Especially romantically, you know, if you're not yeah. feeling it with someone... Like tell them sooner, and it, yeah. people don't people don't for so long and lead them on because they just can't deal with that ability to not yeah. feel liked. And it's also tough being an influencer. I'm assuming that this, why this was tough for you is that mm-hmm. you know your brain conditions to be like literally like a, like oh, a number on the screen. So it's yeah. like, so how would that would that play a part in it? And like you're yeah, very much that? so. Yeah, there's there's been. For me, the strategy for that, the unconscious strategy or response for that, was mostly to hide. Mm. Um, it's very easy to hide, obviously. And, you know, no one's entitled to the things that feel private to you. No one's entitled to know everything that's going on in your personal life or all the things that you're hiding. Like you as an influencer or content creator have what you share and then, you know, what's happening back here. And everybody who is watching, 
you know, you don't have this relationship with them where, like, you have trust and shared intimacy. So it is this interesting relationship of I share all these things and people might feel like I'm hiding something. You know, even if it's like I'm going through a really hard day today, but I don't really want to tell my whole audience. So I'm just going to kind of show up and they might feel that I'm a little closed off, but I got to run my business and I got to run my podcast. So I just have to do it. Yeah. And it's okay if people feel like it's a little inauthentic because it's not, you know, I, I'm not always down to share everything. But for me, um, I like pushing those edges of like, what can I share when it feels in integrity for me to do so, yeah. when it feels right for me to share. Um, and I've loved every time I've, you know, pushed that a little bit. Um, it's always been really good and it's helped me feel a lot more free. The The last time that I did it was this past year mm. where I was going through a really difficult time financially. And I was, you know, just watching myself and a lot of other clients struggle with pivoting from one thing to another. And, you know, there was like a group of us kind of going through something similar and it felt really weird for me to tell all these people like, Hey, I teach people how to do business and I know how to do all this marketing stuff. And I know... I know what's going on, but also I'm going through a hard time financially. And that's a really difficult thing for me to share with you. But there was, you know, there's positive response. There's going to be plenty of people that don't get it. But it was it freed me in a lot of ways to be able to just be honest, because that honesty step is just me owning again, doing like the shadow work of like, this is a part of my experience, too. And that's OK with me. That was a really powerful part of your book, the, the part mm. specifically that said, you know, we, we all focus on the negative side of social media, but there's this beautiful side of it of, like, being okay with sharing your shit. Yeah. There's this, you know, even though this guy called David Goggins, I'm sure yeah. he has, his, he has his, his, his faults, but one thing I really like from him is he has a theory called the billboard theory, which is that mm -hmm. you have to get so comfortable in yourself that you can have a billboard mm -hmm. in your area, your hometown, with all your skeletons in your closet listed there. <laughs> I love that. And that hit me. It, it really it was like, that's true. And then I started yeah. from that concept. I started writing about my experience and mental health and all the shit I've been through on social media. And it really fucking freed me. Yeah. Like, Cause I had Hell no yeah. shame anymore. Cause once the world yeah. saw it, even if the hate came, it was like, it's out there. Yeah. I, have no, I have nothing to fucking hide. Absolutely. It's really, and the bigger, funnily enough, the bigger the audience and more freeing it is in a way. you're like, fuck, I'm really, if I'm showing this to, you know, potentially millions of people in the future or now, I'm really letting go of the shame. Yeah. It's just, I'm just really accepting it as me. So how, yeah. did that help you with that? Like losing like shame over things and having people mm -hmm. to see it for you? So much. Yeah. yeah I think that's what, exactly what social media does for so many people. Mm. It's like a collective experience when people share their story online. Like what a freeing moment. I think telling your story releases so much shame. I know for me, every time, every time I've done that, it's been this like short term, you know, vulnerability hangover and fear and like wanting to backpedal a little bit and be like, oh, my God, did I really just do that? <laughs> like, did I really just say that thing? And then you're like checking the comments, like, is everything going to be OK? And your nervous system is just having this moment of like, oh, my God, you just stepped into the unknown again. You didn't keep this, you know, intimate. And that would have been very safe and familiar. But ultimately, the deepest safety is you being fully accepting of yourself yeah. and that means hey here's here's me and I can't control the way that my these strangers are going to react I can actually almost always assume someone's not going to like it yeah can I be comfortable with myself there yeah on the the shadow side of this is that you know social media has this beauty of removing shame once if it, if it goes there but on the flip side it can invite a lot of shame you know all the cancel, all the cancel culture stuff so in your book, you talked about a specific moment for you when that got intense. What was it like for you in that 
heightened moment of, of cancer culture and your experience yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. So um, that was, I believe, 2017, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, I was 24. Mm-hmm. And I that was like the first year that I pivoted from fitness to business. So my audience was like very skeptical of like all the marketing tactics, like hearing marketing jargon for the first time is like, is this manipulative? Which is like a lot of marketing can be. Um, I did a joint webinar with a friend of mine and he was someone that I met recently and he had a coaching business on healing your relationship with food. And in that webinar and the email sequences, there was some language that some people found, some people who either have had friends that have had eating disorders or they themselves have had eating disorders and they have been through recovery and they know what the recovery process is like. Some of the language felt both either triggering or problematic to them. Um, And I didn't have awareness of that. Um, That wasn't on my radar. It seemed, you know, plenty okay for me to, you know, a lot of people talk about that now online and healing your relationship with food. And there's a lot of nuanced conversation about it now. But at the time there was less. And there was from that, you know, screenshots and like a three-day kind of cancellation moment for me where people would talk about, you know, Amanda's trying to profit off of people that have eating disorders. I'm going to call the police. Like, this is really awful. And, you know, it it created so much shame. Hmm. Um, people would start talking about my body and my boyfriend and like they started bringing in things that were like not constructive. Yeah. And in that, I think that so many people, like the expectation is take accountability own up to it um, and, you know, just say you're sorry and own up to the fact that you did something wrong. And in that, there's, so, again, when even if you're in a conversation with someone that you really, really trust, if you feel attacked, you're probably going to get defensive. Yeah. And there's not really room for that in social media relationships when stuff like yeah. that happens. And nobody is really talking about that flip side of the deep shame that can get incurred when you are in that experience um and you have to work through a lot of that because it can cause a lot of people to just want to hide for me um there's still places where i feel like okay if i talk about this and i don't have you know i'm trying to make sure that i have like this disclaimer and that disclaimer it's created a lot of like need to over explain myself yeah um and need to make sure that there's like consideration for everybody which is often like that over explaining energy to try to make sure that I am communicating in a way that is preventing the most harm, but also, you know, saying things. You can't always add disclaimers to everything. Is there some level of, of PTSD? Oh, yeah, for sure. There was for a while. I mean, people will often just freely cancel people with no you know, understanding of yeah. how it can feel. So, how, how did it really feel for you in that moment on a very human level? Yeah. And how does it still affect you now yeah uh in the moment it felt jarring and shocking and like someone stabbed me with a knife and like twisted it and kept twisting it and like didn't care how i was experiencing it because i you know must be punished and it felt like i was backed into a corner um i eventually you know took responsibility and like i talked about it later and I you know found a way to say the thing that people needed to hear but ultimately it didn't feel like I could learn the thing that they were trying to teach me in a way that felt really useful and and effective um I think that it's so important to be able to call people forward into a higher standard when like what they're doing 
is harmful or it could be better. Um, now I have a lot more emotional availability for people to call me forward, but there's still a moment, like I had someone, I posted something the other day and I used a term incorrectly. Um, you know, that's like a, it was like a term that I was using to talk about switching from, you know, coach and introverted writer to, um, podcaster and like more extroverted person. I used the term code switching. And I didn't know that that term was used mostly for people that, you know, speak multiple languages and they, um, people that are more marginalized or, you know, not white people, um, use it to describe the experience of needing to kind of like make themselves more presentable for mm. white people and white conversations that I didn't know. Um, I had one person say it to me really kindly and one person that was kind of rude about it. And I said to both of them, like, thank you so much. I appreciate this. I wasn't aware. I will change it. Um, and I have a lot more emotional availability to like do that now without getting into a fight and I can take accountability pretty quickly. Yeah. But even still, I remember being at the gym, I was like, I want to die. <laughs> mm -hmm. Not truly, but just like, I want to hide. I want to crawl in a hole. Like I feel shame. Like I yeah. feel like it's not okay to make mistakes. Yeah. Let's talk to that version of you back then. What, what is she like? What do you think she needed? back then or what could you if you were like a yeah. person now what could you tell her to make her feel better or what she kind of needed to know in that moment yeah for anyone who's going through that kind of shit yeah you know? um i think she needed to know that her experience mattered like her feelings mattered the you know just because she made a mistake doesn't mean that she deserves to feel the way that she was feeling yeah. um you know it's okay that people misunderstand and like you're doing the best that you possibly can and you're learning and growing all the time. Um, I was lucky to have, I was like in a mastermind that weekend. So I remember having some really supportive people yeah. who, you know, were able to help me feel better and comfortable. And that was a really helpful thing to just have fun and like lightness and yeah. ease and people that, you know, were advocating for me or like not necessarily publicly, but just even privately. Um, it was helpful to have people advocate for me it was you know helpful to be able to again do that take that moment to recognize like it's okay to make mistakes you can definitely own up to them um but it's also okay to not know stuff yeah. and it's also okay to be learning and growing all the time not everybody knows everything not everybody can know everything everybody's got unconscious stuff everybody's got trauma responses everybody's got ignorance in their own way um i think that that's a huge thing for so many content creators now especially since 2020 when it became no longer viable for creators and businesses and brands to hide their political stances and and all of that and a lot of creators and businesses needed to be more transparent about where they stood with things yeah. and you know that that also created a lot of intense energy for people yeah, sure. the problem i have with, with cancel culture is that, that like you you know i'm not I think we're two extremes. Either we just hate on it, like, fuck cancel culture. Me, is like, there's real shit going on. That it's worth the sensitivity, yeah. 100%. Yeah. But the problem I have with it is doing my own healing, right, is that in healing my shadow, in healing, I've had, I've done fucked up things in my life. I've had a huge ego. I've destroyed people. Like, I've, I've, I've deep down in me, I'm not a good person in many ways. Mm -hmm. And I've had to, the only way I overcame that was losing shame. Mm -hmm. It was truly, like, like, seeing it for what it was and giving myself enough love and encouraged to allow myself to heal those parts of me. Yeah. So if that's the internal world, right? The ex for me, the external yeah. represents that. So if we are encouraging someone to heal and mm -hmm. fix their shit, 
the worst thing to do is shame them and be like, you know, you're, you're a bad person. You're terrible. Like that just makes you stuck in it. It, it just makes you fulfills that prophecy of like, yep, I am. So I'm going to do bad person things. Exactly. So the thing to do is that we have to believe in, re- we need a re- rehabilitation culture. Yeah, I agree. You know, where it's like, you know, I have no, call me out on my shit. I have no problem with it. Obviously don't do it too hatefully, but like, yeah, call me out, but then give me the opportunity to integrate it, to heal from it yeah. and love it. Like I can't get anywhere. Now I can, but I can't get anywhere if I just believe all the shame. I'm like, yeah. I'm a bad person. I can't fix this. Like, it's just so not useful at all. Yeah. When, when you understand, like, healing and even identity, that that idea of, you know, being shamed and then feeling, you know, the thing that you're already feeling is, like, I'm ashamed. I feel like a bad person. And that if people are reflecting that back to me, it, it becomes this, like, what's the point yeah. thing of healing until you yourself come to terms with, like, these people are shaming me but I can't shame myself. So I'm going to do that. But ultimately, again, that culture of just like, because you did something wrong or whatever, people who cancel just have every kind of right in the world to not take accountability for how they show up in the conflict. So in the book, I, you know, outline a whole process for both creators and followers of people that are creators of like, here's how you can just have a different perspective on conflict resolution online and what is really happening here like on a psychological level on a relational level you know check in with your biases check in with your projections check in if you're being loving check in if you know this person that is a creator is a projection of someone else in your life that you have hate towards and you know unresolved emotional trauma like do they feel like your mom and you know they're representing some energy that you have unresolved with a family member like there's so much of that stuff that happens so i think that there's a lot more self-awareness required um and just a lot more like accountability for how both parties show up in the conflict even though i'm for all that is that that's so complicated it's so complicated what i go to to make it easier is that like just a baseline is it feel better intuitively to just comment shit or to not right what feels better to baseline just you know that's what we all have the trigger i'll see some some shit online Mm -hmm. and the you know the bullying me or the not so nice person maybe like want to comment some shit i look at myself like no like that just that. i'm not doing that i'm not gonna it doesn't feel good it doesn't mm-hmm. feel good to be mean it feels better to be kind mm-hmm. another point i want to talk about is that where you at with this now is that i think there's a very fine line between like going into an overcorrection of just yeah. appeasing and pleasing what everyone wants or yeah. seeing like you shouldn't say that or, or stuff and i see a lot of people um nowadays especially nowadays we're so scared of you know getting canceled that they just will please anything that they can't say anything right and then the other side which i can unfortunately fall into is i get so against all the that kind of people tell me that i'm like fuck you i'm gonna say it yeah that's where i'm like have troubles with it it's <laughs> yeah. going towards there so what's your line in that dance like when is it okay to be like no fuck that i'm gonna say my truth and when is it okay to be like okay huh maybe i should change this what's that line like for you yeah yeah i definitely fall on the other side of you mm-hmm. of i'm going to just not say it and okay. i will I will say other things and not that thing. Yeah. Um, for me, the decision is, um, oh, it's so much. It's, it's a lot, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nuanced, obviously, um, and it's such a dance. But there's been a few times where I've decided I'm going to say what is really true for me. I've processed it. Um, I have gotten clarity I have checked my biases. I have, you know, checked in with, like, what could be harmful and ultimately at the end of the day i know that sometimes saying stuff hurts people yeah that's not always my problem and it also you know doesn't mean that 
I'm trying to be malicious or I'm trying to hurt people, but I know baseline some stuff is going to hurt people, even if it's coming from a good place, because yeah. the way that we can get triggered and activated is so much, you know, just because someone says something that hurts you doesn't mean that it's actually them hurting you. Yeah. So I, I know that at my core. Um, and there's this kind of like discernment of, I think that saying this will help enough people and also allow me to be authentic and true in my conversation and not hide a part of myself because I'm, you know, nervous to hurt someone. Yeah. It's it's a, a nuanced process of deciding um, how authentic will this allow you to be? How important is it to add this level of context to the conversation? And, you know, how much is it at a certain point, not really feasible for you to create a conversation that doesn't say this thing. Yeah. How are you still having like what happens in your body when you see a potential new hateful comment and like this is offensive, all this kind of stuff? Is there still party that that lights up a bit? There's still parties yeah. reactive? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I haven't I haven't cleared a hundred percent of it. There's so much of it that I have. Um I think it's not even just about negative comments in totality anymore it's more about what 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 gets said yeah um there's plenty of things i'm restarting my own podcast and there's plenty of things i have to say that i feel nervous about still um and there's plenty of things specifically like open relationship stuff relationship stuff in general why do you feel nervous just you don't want it to there's just a lot of context that you know i i recognize that the way people will hear some things um, will hit a certain part of them that hasn't met themselves yet. And it will activate them. And, you know, I've had many people over the years come back and circle around and say, like, I've unfollowed you. What you said was triggering and difficult, specifically money stuff, business stuff, relationship stuff. Um, But I've done my work now around that, and I'm sorry that I projected onto you. And I always circle back with, like, it's all good. Like, I, there's, there's a part of me that is very happy to be a part of someone's growth experience in that way, even if it means getting unfollowed. Um, But that's, that's how we grow. It's like we hear unknown things that we don't understand, especially with consciousness, you know, they rub up against our familiarity. It rubs up against our worldview. And I think when we hear people that rub up against our worldview, which is why I think social media is so fucking awesome because we're constantly hearing shit that rubs up against our worldview, unless we're in like an echo chamber of, seeing the same stuff over and over, which a lot of people are. Um, But we hear something or see something, especially, you know, we've been following someone and they say this type of thing for so long and then something new comes along, which has happened to me a lot. It can be this like, whoa, pattern interrupt. Whoa, that's different. That makes me feel a lot of things. Um, And ultimately, my hope is that those, you know, weird things help you just question you're for yourself. Yeah, what I ask myself is is mostly am I being of loving service? And that like distinction. Yeah. yeah. Is it coming from the heart? And you know, is it to truly help people? Mm-hmm. And it, it, oftentimes it's right. And in that, it's like if it, even if it comes across as offensive, I know it was in my highest interest to say it. Like yeah. I did a, I did a podcast yesterday where it ended, and I was like, I said a lot of shit that I wouldn't normally say. <laughs> I had zero filter. I just was the dude showed up baked out of his mind. So I was just like. It's going to be one of those ones that I'm just going to say, fuck it, and say whatever. Right. Yeah. But now looking back, I can say I, I wasn't in loving service. Mm. I was speaking from bias. I was speaking from hate. Yeah. And that's when I look at myself with accountability being like, yeah, yeah it's not good. Yeah, that's totally. That, it's that distinction right totally. there. Totally. Yeah, that's that that's in, a great in, distinction. In a way where like it's coming yeah. from the heart or it's not. Yeah, coming from the heart of like, 
I really hope that this is supportive for someone versus I have an agenda. Yeah. Like my agenda is, you know, even if you feel unconsciously like I'm saying this on a podcast, but I'm ultimately saying it to someone that I hope is listening that I still have yeah. this like unresolved thing with or whatever. Yeah. Um, I made this TikTok once. The audio was, um, I could have said blah, blah, blah about, you know, my ex-partner. Like I could have said that they're this, this and this, but I didn't. I said we grew apart or whatever. Um, so on my audio where I like wrote over that, it was like, I could have made petty content about people that have hurt me in the mm -hmm. past, but I didn't. I went to therapy, I healed, <laughs> I found community, I took accountability for my side of the street and I made peace. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's a good way to, to do it. I want segue a bit and end on this topic. Yeah. I think it's important in this social media game because your, your book's amazing. It talks about so many good things and you do talk about this, but I want to make sure listeners get it is that yeah. when you're starting this journey of being a content creator, in your experience, how can you go about it and not get stuck into the, the negative sides of it, specifically being how do you not tie your self-worth to the page? Mm -hmm. What's that question. dance like? Yeah. That's the most important thing I see. Even in myself, I'll see it. I'm aware of this shit. I look at it and be yeah. like, what, what the fuck are you doing, bro? Like, this is insane. Like, it's tough. So it's, what, how, what's your experience like with that? And yeah. what's your go-to tips on yes. how to not do that? Great question. Um, in the book, I do have a chapter called The Nine Stages of Personal Branding. And I basically modeled the nine stages of like the psychological uh, building up of what your personal brand is to spiral dynamics. If you've ever heard of spiral dynamics, it's like a psychological development model of how we develop, um, you know, in our own ego, in our own psyche um, and, you know, emotional maturity. And for the nine stages of personal branding and being able to get to that place of I feel at peace with however many people follow me or unfollow me. Um, it, it is kind of like this ladder of, you know, healing and the followers count, the success that you have, um, you know, whether or not your stuff went viral or if it hit a certain way or if you feel like people are understanding you or you're growing at the, the speed that you want to grow. It's all a mirror. It's all a mirror for how you feel about yourself yeah. and what level of expectation you're putting yourself up to just to feel worthy, just to feel good enough. And the nine stages basically walk through like, you know, at the very beginning, um, you're figuring yourself out. And often if you, you know, you don't have tons of skill with social media, you're trying to like model after other people. And sometimes you might copy people because you don't feel like your stuff is good enough on its own because yeah. you don't feel you know, worthy enough yet. You feel like an imposter still. You don't have the, you know, you know, podcast skills to know and trust that you're just going to crush it, whoever you bring on. And that's, you know, part of the early stages, but eventually you spend enough time, you learn models of content, you learn what can do really well. You also learn what kind of content you want to create. And it takes so much time to really like nail down. How do I make this content thing work? How do I make it work for other people? And how do I make it work for me? Yeah. And those three things are all extremely important and not one of them is more important than the other. There's also a period of time where you can get to a space where you're like, all right, cool, I'm good. Like I've got it, but I'm either plateauing or people are not really following in the same way anymore. Like I'm not growing. People aren't growing with me. My brand is static. And now I have to figure out like, how can I reinvent myself in a way where it's not about 
I'm doing something wrong? Like, those are the questions you have to ask yourself. Like, am I doing something wrong? I've done this myself, even recently. Um, I had this experience where I was going, you know, into all my marketing knowledge and I was going into my knowledge of self-worth and things weren't landing with my audience the way that I wanted them to. And for a while I was like, this is okay. It's probably just a marketing thing. And then it was still not landing. And I was like, what the, what is this? Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of clients going through this as well. Um, and ultimately I had to get to the place of, you know, being able to understand that social media growth, skill development, you know, you're figuring out how do I be a really good speaker? How do I be a good communicator? How do I be a good graphic designer? Like there's so many jobs that you're hosting all at once. So don't hold yourself to the highest expectation ever. Um, It's also really difficult to be seen to be a student in front of people. So that's another thing to do, you know, shadow work with of like, can I be seen to not know what I'm doing? Yeah, I hear you and I, I agree. So I started off as a, as a writer. So I was just putting up articles all the time. And mm-hmm. because it wasn't on social media, I, I did put it there. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. I didn't give a fuck. I was just getting good, totally. at, good, good at the skill because it wasn't to do with that. Then once I moved into like reels and, and, and videos and short form content, yeah. then I noticed all that stuff coming in. Yeah, you're just, being watched now. Yeah, all the stuff that wasn't the case before. And it's, it's yep. exact, hearing you say so brilliant is that it's the same shit. It's, mm-hmm. it's a skill. Mm-hmm. And the writing's a skill. Um, coding's a skill, like being a content yeah. creator is a skill, and but like any skills, and take time to get better at it. Therefore, you gotta give it time to grow. You can't yeah. attach to you know if you're getting six or seven likes in a video because it may change. It's, it's tough because you're, you're, it's engineered in a way psychologically to trigger all those things in you, so it's inevitable. It's wild, but you just have to. It's a great point. It yeah. really makes a distinction of you know you're getting better, um, and you have to let it mm-hmm. tell its tale. Yeah, and just knowing that it's gonna trigger all your self worth stuff, yeah. and knowing that like. It's just a mirror for you to work on it. Yeah. Um, towards the end of the the nine stages, I talk about just like the, the transcendent stage of, you know, at a certain point, you've done social media for long enough. Um, like me, like I've done social media for almost a decade now. And I've had a podcast and then I stopped my podcast. Mm-hmm. And then I've had a YouTube channel and I stopped my YouTube channel. And I've had a few businesses and I've stopped them. And people have watched it all. And I'm at a space now where I'm like, it's 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 not a linear progression anymore mm-hmm. and it never really had to be at the end of the day either and now i rec- recognize that that it didn't have to be like always growing and if i'm not growing then i'm dying um for the last few years every single week couple hundred people unfollow couple hundred new people follow mm-hmm. doesn't matter anymore like it's just a fluid dynamic you know, thing that's happening and you can totally have goals and desires and interest in being more seen, more recognized and all that stuff. But know that, you know, keep learning your skills, keep growing, keep being open. Um, even checking in with like, how emotionally available am I to be seen? Yeah. How would I feel if that many people followed me? Can I do that work ahead of time to feel even more emotionally available to be like fully witnessed, fully watched, all of that stuff, because that will also unconsciously prevent you from, like, really creating the space. Yeah, I want to end on this question, is that, you know, just to close people's, these loops in these people's, in people's brains that they have, is that we had this conception that when we get more followers a certain number, when we get more likes, when we get more attention in that way, that we'll become happy, that we'll mm-hmm. become healed in a, in a way. In your experience, how untrue is that? Yeah, it's very, you know, in the beginning, it feels like belonging. Mm -hmm. 
and it kind of supports that Maslow's hierarchy need of, you know, what I have to say matters, and I feel like I belong somewhere, and I feel like I'm making an impact somewhere. But ultimately, if you're receiving that entirely from the outside, and then you start losing followers, or your likes start to go down, or you start, you know, changing what kind of pictures you post or videos, and there's less of that, like, in abundance of likes and, and whatever, then it will, you will start to feel exactly how you felt before on the yeah, inside. Cause it's, it's an inside job, not yeah. an outside job. So the thing that I found is the most helpful is to not allow the, the positive comments or like the, the big, you know, increases in followers or whatever, or the decreases get to you nearly as much as, as your own inner experience. It's, I had learned the hard way that the praise is just as dangerous as the criticism. Yeah. The same, so. it's the same thing, the same side of the, same side of the coin mm -hmm. so, but thank you very much for for coming on i people are gonna learn a lot from this it's especially in today's day and age what you're doing yeah. is so important because it's such an untapped into topic of how to do this the most like fucked up egoistic game in the most healing way <laughs> super egotistic you know but you can do it you can do it in a way that you explain so beautifully you can, yeah you can do it healing wise so it's 100 percent People really need to hear this. So I'm proud of you for doing it. And it's, Thank you. It's great work. And where can people find you or, or what, get the book? How can they do all yeah. that? Yeah. Uh, book, you can get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or anywhere. Or you can go to amandabucci.com slash followed and you can find all the links. There's bonuses. If you get one book or three books or ten books, you can get a bunch of different bonuses and fun stuff. Um, and then I am at Amanda Bucci on Instagram and all the places. Great. Thank you again. And... Thank you for having me. Yeah.